woman with a helmet of frosted hair bent over and hurriedly collecting something into a plastic bag. Isn't that Mrs. Philpot? I said. Nev came over and peered through the dirty glass. I believe it is. What on earth is she doing here? Mum rushed out of the back door. Mrs. Philpot stood up and, arching her eyebrows, said, I'm collecting jasmine. Mum took root before her, hands on hips. You do realise that we own this house now? Mrs. Philpot stared at the younger woman and tilted her head forward, smiled slightly as if dealing with a simpleton, and explained, It costs two pounds at the garden centre. Mum smiled back. That may be so, but now you have sold this house to us, so you're going to have to find somewhere else to snip it. Mrs. Philpot looked at our mother imperiously. She marched down the garden with her cuttings of jasmine, sensible shoes clipping along the cracked paving stones of the garden path and out of our lives forever. So began life at 99 Queen's Road. Tom and I had baked beans on toast that night, eating sitting on the tea chest that filled the kitchen while our parents had an Indian takeaway from silver foil containers. After he finished, Tom poked a finger deep into a nostril, stared at what he found up there, rolled it into a ball and flicked it at me. Tom just threw a bogey at my face. Is this true? said Nev. Guess so. Right, Tom. I'm going to fine you 50p. Until you learn to treat people with a bit more respect, I'm going to have to hit you where it hurts. The wallet. Tom dug around in his pocket, pulled out a 50p coin and flicked it at Nev. He grabbed wildly for it, missed, and the coin clattered off before coming to a halt somewhere underneath one of the boxes. Butterfingers said Tom with a yawn. In a few days' time, Tom would start at Westminster School. He had won a scholarship, leaving me to fester at a private boys' school our parents had moved me to a year earlier. That was around the time the serious money for Mum's tabloid articles with titles like How to Turn Your Tubby Hubby into a Slim Jim began to kick in. I protested that I'd been perfectly happy at the local primary school, but this change, along with getting rid of a beautiful car called a Morgan that had the minor disadvantage of breaking down on most journeys, was an inevitability of our new, prosperous, aspirant life. Once the house was cleared of any remaining Philpottian traces and transformed into a temple of soft furnishings and comfort befitting a young modern family on the up, our new life was to unfold here. "'I want the front room for my study,' announced Mum. "'You're going to have to put shelves up in there, Nev. "'And I can't live with this kitchen a minute longer.' What we need is a high-end, top-quality fitted kitchen from John Lewis with a nice cooker. But you never do any cooking, said Tom. That's not the point, said Mum. As she turned her Cleopatra-like nose towards the mouldy ceiling, she added, I shall also need a microwave. For the next few months, the house underwent its metamorphosis. Beige carpets ran up and down the stairs and hallways, Florid Edwardian Coca-Cola posters and reproductions of pre-Raphaelite scenes of medieval romance filled freshly painted walls. Nev replaced the doors of my cupboard. We had a drawing room. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a drawing room before then. Complete with chaise long, real fake fire, and a three-piece suite upholstered in green linen by G.P. and J. Baker. At least the Philpots had left the built-in bookcase that ran along two walls of the drawing room, which meant your erroneous zones, fear of flying... Our bodies ourselves, and the complete works of Jackie Collins now took up spaces once filled with dusty books on Greek history and Latin grammar. We also had a TV room with beanbags, an Atari games console and a pinball machine, which was a present to Nev from Mum from around the time I was born. 
An oak dresser found space between the microwave and the new fridge freezer and gave the kitchen a hint of rusticity. A sweet tin with scenes from ancient Chinese life on its four sides took up occupancy too, on a shelf alongside boxes of shreddies, cornflakes, and, in a nod towards healthy eating, Alpen. Nev worked long hours at the Daily Mail, which, from the way he described it, sounded like a cross between a newspaper office, a prison, and a lunatic asylum. There was a woman who was paid to not write anything, a man called Barry with a severe and very public flatulence problem, rats in the basement, a section editor who pinned journalists up against the wall, and printers who threatened strike action if anyone so much as suggested they stop at two pints at lunchtime. Despite all this, Nev seemed to be doing well. As the medical correspondent, he was breaking big stories. He had the scoop on the first test tube baby a few years earlier, and now he was one of the first British journalists to cover DNA sequencing and stem cell research. One evening he came back home and announced that an expose he had written about American petrochemical companies illegally dumping...